Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Grip and Grin. Today for you, we have a topic of turkey hunting. And I love it. The bread and butter of Andrew's outdoor life. You can say that there's uh, three definites in this world, death, taxes, and me going turkey hunting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to say that just because it's so true. Uh, it's just the epitome of fun. It's so goddamn fun. I am, ah, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a fucking good one. Turkey hunting, I'll, I'll be honest. I started, okay, before I even started turkey, I've only been turkey hunting for two years now. Yep. And this man right in front of me got me into turkey hunting because I told him, I said, dude, anybody can fucking turkey hunt. We see turkeys everywhere everywhere you go they're on people's lawns they're crossing the road you have to slam on your brakes like everywhere you go there's a goddamn turkey it's different though once you get in the woods and you're in their element they are wary motherfuckers as i've learned over the years yes it is much harder than you think and people are like what are you talking about they're everywhere when you turkey hunt you are looking for that one bird out of the entire group there's that one bird that you're pursuing. Nice hot tom. Gobbling hard, like just cutting me off whenever I put a yelp out there. That's the that's the bread and butter tom that you're gonna kill. But we'll get into all the different intricacies of turkey hunting, because I could talk about this for hours and we will over multiple episodes. I have learned that turkey hunting is it's not as simplistic as one may think. It is a science. It's literally a science. It's definitely a different aspect to hunting than whitetails. Because like whitetails, you have to worry about scent. You have to worry about wind. But when you're turkey hunting, it's all about your appearance, sounds you make, and calling. And when you're turkey hunting, a nice hot day, that's great. But if you're deer hunting, oh boy. <laughs> Sucks. Yep. Um, so, I mean, when we start off hunting, I mean, the locations that we were going... What time are we getting up? We're getting up at like... Well, I got to wake up to meet you at your place, so I got to wake up at 1.30 on occasion. 1.30 to turkey hunt. Yeah, I'm going to bed. Why am I even going to bed sometimes? Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, the memorable things that I can remember is like when we were walking out to our, our location, our spots, every time we would do that, it's like... You and I would just we'd be walking across a field because we had to walk across a few fields to get to where we wanted to go. So what, like a half mile, maybe a little more. Yeah, it was it was a decent haul. It's a hike, it's a hike. But when we got out to the center of the field in the middle of like nowhere, and you just like you know, there's no overcast. It's just open sky and just. There's one difference between whitetails and turkeys is I feel like I'm taking more, more of it in when I'm turkey hunting. I'm just like enjoying nature i'm not cold i mean it may be a little crisp but i'm not cold i'm not like worried about this that or the other thing i'm just like all right i'm going turkey hunting and this is going to be a f freaking good morning you're a sponge you're just trying to absorb everything in the moment which that's what i love about turkey hunting is when you're waking up you're capturing everything that some people well i shouldn't say some people pretty much everyone is still sleeping and you're out there looking at stars like you know, we're picking out, like, constellations, picking out planets and stuff in the night sky. And then we're like, oh, yeah, we're turkey hunting. Let's go to our spot. Mm -hmm. And I always know turkey hunting's coming around the corner when I hear those peepers. Ah, oh, so true. Bringing me back. Yeah, I know. Bringing I'm, me back. The next thing that I love about turkey hunting is 
I don't have to bring my ozone devices or a pee jug or any sort of sense. All I really need is breakfast, maybe some coffee, and my calls, obviously my decoys and my blind, but like the fun essentials, I like to call them. Because like when you're turkey hunting, I mean, you're pounding coffee early in the morning because you're getting up at like 1, 1.30. Yep. So you're pounding the coffee and like you're sitting in your blind, you're like, I gotta piss like bad. And it doesn't fucking matter because you can. And when we're sitting next to each other, it's like we know when pee breaks happening because you just hear this like, shh, <laughs> and you send a text. Pee break question mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's the that's one of the best things is that you don't have to worry about scent whatsoever. You can sweat. You can eat whatever food you want. Pee whenever you it want. It really to. doesn't matter. You can do whatever is comfortable. The only thing you really need to do is make sure you're covered because they have that great eyesight. But like other than that, like, you're pretty good to go. In addition, you need to have plenty of camo because, like you said, turkeys have an amazing eyesight. We were hunting in a, a location, a field. How? I mean, how long was that field? 800 yards? Uh, the big, the larger one? The larger yeah, one. Yeah, that was freaking big. Huge. big-ass field. Huge. And we were up in the wood line, and down below we had a whole flock of turkeys. We didn't even step in the field. What? 600 yards away, those turkeys saw us and just started exiting the field. Yep. Like, I'm like there they go. And I'm like, that's when I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you have no idea how good their eyesight is until you actually, like, have that encounter. Yeah, I mean, the hunter has to realize that these birds, you know, they may be birds, but they have to deal with coyotes, they have to deal with hawks, owls. They, they have predators, and they're easy pickings if you look at it. Right. Yeah, not many of the poults make it through the summertime. Most of them get picked off like that. Yeah. Little chicken nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but keep in mind that with your camo, you know, we, we layer up, right? And we talked about layering up uh, in one of our previous episodes, but when you layer up... It's like going from your fall, like October, to then like your summer clothes. Hot. Yes. Because like I sit there and I'll be cold at like... 4.30. Oh, I, yeah. I got to change my times here. 4.30, I'll be cold, but then at like 7 o'clock, I'll be baking because I'm in a little blind. It, I was just going to say, when you're in that sitting that blind, the sun is just cooking that blind. You're like, holy shit. Like, whew. But one of the nice things about like if you hunt from a blind is the bugs just don't mm. seem to get out of you as much. Yeah, ticks, I think, are the biggest issue in the spring. I definitely see that fishing. I yeah. see a turkey hunting at some locations. But at least when you have the blind, like the black flies are kind of off you. Maybe get a few ticks. Dude, I would take ticks over black flies any day of the week. See? Any day. Some people hate snakes. Some people hate spiders. And I freaking hate ticks. Just hate them. Dude, black flies? Are you kidding me? I'll take them. It, no. I hate ticks. Nope. I, I ain't screwing around with lime. Dude, after you're done, do a naked strip down, do a I tick do. check. I you just know? hate it. I use permethrin. That's some of the things I use to help with the ticks because I really do not like ticks. Now, is that is that like an all-natural sp- base? or? Ah, frick, no, I don't think it's all-natural. <laughs> like you a- spray it down on your clothes and you let it dry, and it's good for like weeks. Is it like a DEET? Or? It's kind of like a DEET. It's like its own thing. I don't really know the exact specs on it, but it definitely works well. You don't spray it on your skin. It's just on your clothes. Oh, okay. So only so on like you spray down your camo once and you're good for a couple of weeks unless it rains or something. You spray down your blind too. Mm, 
Do not, like a perimeter around your blind? I've done that. I don't know if it does anything. Because your blind's not that big. Yeah. I'm using a backpack blind. That's like a little chair one. Yeah. It folds right over me. So let's get, I mean, you've talked about your blind. I mean, you might as well transition right to it. So, so I have two different blind setups for uh, one of my locations where I know, like, I don't have to carry in, carry out. I have a nice, big, like, I think they're called doghouse blinds or, yep. you know, multiple sides. It's not, like, quite square. It has, like, edges to it with a bunch of windows, uh, Velcro, and then the, like, elastic straps they can put, like, the windows up. It's one of my go-tos. I just carry the chair in and out when I need it, a little foldable chair. But my other real go-to is a foldable, like, single chair blind. I don't know how else to call it's it. Like a, it's like a, one of those fold-up camping chairs. But that has a blind attached to it. But it has a blind that drapes over from the back. What's nice about that is you can just literally, it's a backpack. It's pretty light. Really easy setup. You, like, you don't even really need to stake it. You just, like, push out the ends. And you're, you're going to be able to, like, for our spots that we hike into, it's real, real nice having that Oh, you need it. Oh, yeah. You, you absolutely need it. need it. I would not hunt without a blind. I not mean, at all. Mine is a similar setup. So I have the same brand as he does. But instead of the single, I have the double, which <laughs> it is like the Rolls Royce of, like, space when it comes to turkey hunting. A lot easier to pee in. Dude, when I'm in there by myself, I'm like, look at me, look at me, and I have all this space, and you're over there, like, just, like, cramped. I'm not quite cramped, but it's nice when I stand up after. <laughs> I mean, with all the space that we have, you know, it you have to account for the barrel of your shotgun, right? Which we'll get into, but, you know, in a smaller blind such as that, as far as, like, mobility there's not a lot of space to move around in whereas like if i have birds coming all around me i can easily transition from one shot to another a window to a window and that will carry us perfectly into our next topic is about the setup of the blind so mm. there's like a whole list of unpacking to do here and we'll try to not go down rabbit holes but your blind location is pretty key and i i'm a big like i wouldn't say believer it's just what i do i hunt fields I just like hunting fields. I don't like hunting big woods, turkeys. It's just my excitement is when I see a bird 200 yards away and it's coming in. It's all fluffed up and ready to go. And I'm like, all right, incoming. Take a pee break, pee break quickly. Yeah, I mean, fields, though. To find a field for just you and your, your hunting partner, like, it's, I wouldn't say it's uncommon, but it's it's kind of hard to come by nowadays, like, if you find a field that it's just you in the field with you and your hunting group, that's pretty, I mean. I mean, where, like, we've gone together and I've been, I've been fortunate to have permission from landowners, so I'm not dealing with, like, public hunting pressure. I mean, sometimes I have seen other hunters, but it's not to any degree as whitetails. Which, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do the rabbit hole. I'm doing it. So that new piece of property that we have, field in the middle of nowhere it is literally in the middle of nowhere and there's no houses no roads near it and we did a little bit of scouting out there and i mean you were like we don't even know if there's birds out here and when i came across that like muck hole that has like tracks all through it i'm like do you believe me now there's there's definitely birds out here yeah i like i'm always going to be skeptical i'm never going to be the one that's just going to assume of oh, field birds like i've been in plenty of fields 
where there's this zero third <laughs> activity and it's very very boring but you never know like with turkey hunters like there's definitely a lesser amount i feel i think that's safe to say and you don't know how hard they're gonna go if they're gonna be hiking out to this like field in the middle of the woods to be found like you right. just never know but when you're like going to those locations you're looking for like a point any sort of like feature into the field where you can like put yourself out there. Yep. So you can almost surround yourself with field in a way so they can cut from the back right, the back left, in front of you, way off in the distance. Just putting yourself out there for which allows you to put your decoys out there, making them very visible. That's probing. You're basically probing yourself e- out into the Exactly. Field. So like you can do a lot. If you know there's turkeys in a field and you can do some e-scouting, that's really all you need. Mm. If you can just see that there's a point or like a corner that you can really get yourself out to and you can really see from all directions, it's perfect. Then your calls can easily travel into the field and get out there. Which is like what our setup was was like in our particular spot. I mean, this is I, – I love this season for this reason is because we get to hunt together day in and day out. Like we just – we tag team it. I mean, you are the – Let's be real. You're the turkey specialist when it comes to the two of us, right? Yeah, I mean, when we were doing our e-scouting, I just immediately locked onto that point. I'm like, I want to sit there. Yep, no doubt. And, like, when we set up, it's kind of nice that the point is big enough where we can stretch ourselves out, you know, you on one side of the point, me on the other side of the point, still at the the spearhead of this point, but we're able to see, like, I'm seeing the left side, you're seeing the right side. And you're a lefty and I'm a righty. Bingo. That was key. And then what you do is, like, for me, I have a smaller blind. I can't really rotate well. I orient myself so that it's easy to just poke my gun out of my smaller blind with just, like, that kind of shooting lane. And I'm, I'm pretty confident in the fact I can pull a bird into the zone I need it to. So as far as, like, proximity to each other, I mean, we're relatively close. We can't, like, whisper to each other through our blinds, but... I can talk to you if I need to. If you need to, like, <laughs> yeah, but... That's that's a great uh, you know technological advance. At the advance same we time, we can be close, but we can also be dif- different fields apart. And then we can be playing a game of calling, which we'll get into calling in a little bit. But you can. It depends on how you want to attack it. If you're if you're not really sure where the birds are, it's probably better to then have your hunting partner in like a different location. And if you're calling, you can reach different birds and then actually do some tag team calling. Mm. In my opinion. And then you can really just, like, explore the area. And then you can pinpoint that one location that you know it's a hub. All right, because we, we tried early on, we tried stretching ourselves thin, like, because we were really unfamiliar with this area. And we're like, you know, I'll hunt one field, you hunt the other. And I was kind of the one bouncing around quite a bit while you just you stayed right where you were, a central location. Because as birds were gobbling out or clucking or communicating to you we could get an idea of where they were where they are roosting and the nice thing about like having a central location if you have multiple fields to work with or being out on a point which we had both in that particular scenario you can really reach out and pull a bird from wherever you need to because if you're like if you're in their house they're gonna come if you're yelping at them right exactly one question i have for you and i was i was uh, a turkey hunter that was unfamiliar to this way of hunting and you know ranging i mean i always brought my range finder just in case right we're hunting fields you can range a bird you're on a blind you're, you're able to do that 
Is there a technique that you did that you learned over the years that you use as far as ranging? So I always have a rangefinder with me, and I always place my decoys at a certain distance, which I'll get into decoy setups later. But I know the range of my decoys, so that's like one of my references. But another tidbit I learned in the past was just taking a stick and stamping it into the ground, and then you have it at like 40 yards or whatever your range is for your particular gun or weapon of choice, I guess. But I'm always going to be using a turkey gun. I set that up at 40 yards, so then I know once that bird crosses that little stake, maybe I have a couple stakes out, or I have kind of like a, a radius around me with a couple stakes. I know he's in the kill range. And usually I'll, I'll let him come in nice and close because I calling is just the best part, and having them come in close and I can hear them purring, dragging their feathers gets me going. <laughs> I mean, you don't know it until you've actually seen it firsthand. I mean, seeing that first bird that came in close to me, I was just like, oh, my Especially, like, I vividly remember hearing the first close gobble. Mm. So I'll go rock your world. It's like, damn, like, holy shit. They're Spring really loud. Spring thunder, baby. Yeah. Spring this. thunder. You can just you almost feel it in your chest in a way, like, if they're that close. I, You know, turkey hunting, so many times, maybe I'm dozing a little bit. Been up at 1.30, and it's like a little bit before legal, and I'm dozing, and then I hear one gobble, and I am up. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> so when you put the sticks in the ground, okay, out in the field, I mean, how tall is the grass? I mean, are you are you taking like you don't want to take like a whole like you know two inch diameter stick and stamp it in the ground like it's just like a little twig, just an indication to yourself, yeah, something that I can see. That's about it. And usually, you know, as the season goes on, those fields will grow up, and then they're gonna hit right. the field usually after the season's ended. So hopefully, you're not hunting till the end of May. Hopefully we've not. done that plenty of times. Yeah, you're waiting for the right bird. So then you have to obviously get a bigger stick. But usually it's pretty small because you don't want to be, like, obvious about it. And I was going to ask a stupid question. I was going to say, like, would you use your decoy as, you know, a ranger? Meaning, Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like I said previously, I always have my decoys at a certain distance. Yep. Because, first of all, I want the tom to get comfortable. Like, you can't have them too close. We can't have them too far. Right. So, like, it brings them at least into range, but hopefully it brings them in nice to, like, around 20 yards. Right. Hopefully. Hopefully. But you never know, especially in those big field scenarios. I mean, early on, you talk about these gobbles that just rock your world. But, you know, as a, as a first-year hunter, turkey hunter, you know, you hear those gobbles in the trees, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going over there. I'm going to go sit up. I'm going to set up right, you know, 50 yards from there. Roost hunting. Yay, nay. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I've done a couple of roost hunts and I've done many unsuccessful ones. It definitely takes different skill set. And if you want to do it, fine by me, like do what you want. However, I'd rather call on the bird because that's where my excitement is. Like, yes, again, it takes skill to get nice and close to a roost. However, it's just like a different means of taking once they just fly down there in range. But again, I can't stress enough. Like if that's but if you want to stealth in there, which is a skill and an art in itself, you're walking in on twigs and dry leaves, and you can hear them clucking above you. It's like, yeah. oh, 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 you right above it. me. <laughs> it's going to be a quick hunt. If that's what you have, then take it. Like yeah. If, I, if I'm if i in a scenario, I can only do like a 4.30, 6.30 hunt. Sure, I'll do a roost hunt. And then I have like immediate action once they fly down, and then they're gone, they're gone, and I can get out of there. Right. 
But if it's a Saturday, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would say, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I've roost hunted more than you. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's because of one, you know, work, work, hunting before work, but also like not having the confidence to call in a bird. Mm. Unfamiliar mm. with the vocalization of a turkey. I mean, let's be real. People are like it's just a gobble. Like, no, <laughs> there is more to it than just that, which we'll discuss. But I guess I'm not comfortable. As ridiculous as it sounds, I'm not comfortable calling in birds and communicating with these birds to kind of like lasso them and bring them in. It's definitely taken years of trial and error. Yep. And it's I correlate calling to my decoy setup as well. Mm. So like. If, you, if you're having, like, multiple hens in your setup, then you have to, like, gear your calling to what you have available, if that makes any sense. And I have my own personal setups I like to use. For example, I love the two-hen setup. Two-hen setup at 20 yards, 10-yard space between them. It's perfect. It, Absolutely now, perfect. your hens that you have set up, are they, is one laying down, or are they both? They're both, like, standing, per se. One's, like, a lookout, and one's just, like, casually just perched there they're both saying no laying down ones i've used i've used every type of decoy tom jake um laying down hens standing hens lookout hens what have you and i've had success with all of them and i've just had the most success with the two hen setup because it's just irresistible mm. with the jake setup if you have a jake and a hen sometimes you know, a tom might be a little timid because it's late into the season. They see and they're like, I don't really feel like fighting anymore. But if you have two hens by themselves, I mean. It's easy as pie, baby. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> money. It's always money. I mean, I have a Simply Jake. irresistible. It, it is. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this man right here across from me, you got, you got me a new decoy for my birthday. Which yes, I did. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I am too. <laughs> it's, it's making me pretty i mean the decoy i had was and uh, a call last year and dude you're you're setting me up yeah you're gonna be a real real turkey honey, well sure. you know it's not the equipment that makes the hunter right yeah yeah <laughs> yep. can't disagree with that so you've talked a little bit about your decoy setup i mean what's your what's your distance what's your go-to distance for setting up your decoys so like 20 yards is perfect away from you 20 yards away from you and then about 10 yards apart what that does it allows the tom if they're like a timid more cautious tom if they're on the outside of that range meaning the hen range they're probably at 40 yards which is within the kill zone but if you have the decoys too close to you then you become a factor right so if they come between you and the decoys and that decoy is close you're putting yourself in danger as in they're going to spot you and booger out of there but another thing you must take into account is you don't want your decoy straight in front of you because the eyesight of the tom will go over the decoy and hit where you're sitting. So if you're making any movements, getting your gun out, they're going to see you. And yeah, gonna but you. I mean, if you're hunting a new spot, per se, eh, nah, I would always angle them a little bit. Oh, ah, okay. okay. Always like, I don't know. 15, 20 degrees. Left but they could right. come in from that way. Yeah, I know. It's always a what if, but well, it's a risk what I've been I'm willing told, to take. Yes, I, I'm not going to put it out in front of me. And I'm using two, so I'm not going to stack them vertically. They're right. always going to be side by side. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, our setup that we had 
in the in that larger field on that point. That was that was a deadly setup. And on top of that, I mean, we were having some hot, hot hens just. If you can call in away. those hens, we'll have a whole podcast about scenarios, but just like deer hunting, if you can get the hens in, you can get the tom in too. Dude, having like a natural decoy. Yep. And she was just like chilling, yep. just clucking away, like having a good old time. I mean, that, that hen was huge. Fucking behemoth. I thought it was a tom when it first came. I out. know. It's like. I think I texted you. I was like tom question mark and yeah like, i do remember that and you're like hen i was like no fucking way that was a big bird really big bird one of the big things is when you have a hen around you cutting is one of the best calls you can do because if you can get that hen in there and you can get them chatter right back to you that tom is going to pique its interest for sure and we're going to get into calling here in a second because i, I want to lead into it a little differently but bringing in those hens with a cut Mm. Yep. Yeah. Cutting is like I don't know rattling. Like I don't know what the the equation is and to why to like it's like it's not even a doe bleat. It's uh, it's, it's I, way more than that. It's like a snort wheeze. I guess yeah, that would be a better comparison. Yeah, because it's like an excited but aggressive call. Oh, that snort wheeze is <laughs> that's you can't get much more aggressive yes, than that. Yeah. That's basically saying like bring it on. Yep. Yep. Bring it on. I mean, there's so many different calling tactics I use. I mean, I've done everything from my bread and butter is my box call. I use a mouth call. I use the slate push button electronic ones they make. I haven't used one of those, but you have your gobble call. I mean, we even do the owl hoot. Oh, dude, own. that's my that's my bread and that's butter. That's a nice locator call right oh, there. I love the owl. The first first daylight owl call just to get them all fired up and that's how i found those birds in one of my new locations that i just started hunting this past year that's how i found all those birds just an owl call and i'm like oh there they are with calling i i mentioned to it earlier when if we're next to each other or far apart and i'm i'm texting you i'm like throw gobble right after i do this little sequence of yelping yep that is a great way to bring in a bird that's a little timid mm. I mean, we, we definitely experimented, and you had said, you're like, I've never done this before. Let's try this. And we had a little, wasn't a, we even did a gobble fest back and forth. Like, yeah, because we were imitating roosting birds because it was right at first light, and there was no gobbling activity. None. Zero. Zip. And we had how many toms that day gobbling? Four? Yep, I remember that. That series of gobbles back and forth, just kind of like going, you know, back and forth between just the blinds, it got everybody just Fired, like fired and riled up. It's like um, you need to know what call to use in what situation. And in that particular situation, the gobbling like awoken the herd, basically. It's almost like when a quarterback goes to the line behind his center and he has to assess the defense. You don't know what you're going to get. Exactly. And you might have to call like an audible. You might have to like change up the play. You might, you know do something in motion you don't know until you get to the line till you're in your blind and then on top of that like i have my own regular sequence of calling so if it's a normal morning and we get you know a few roosted gobbles i have a particular yelping sequence that i that's become my bread and butter i mean 
I'm pretty confident when I bring out the box, bring out the big guns. I've I, seen it. <laughs> I can bring in a Tom on a silent day. I know I can. If my life depended on it, I'm pretty confident I can bring in a Tom, even if it's a silent morning. See, when I first started turkey hunting, I was like, oh, you just, I thought you just go at it. And when I turkey hunt with you, the biggest thing that I did was just listen. I didn't listen just for birds, obviously, is what you want to do, but I also just listened the way that you called, and I was like, man, you just start so quietly, and then it just progresses from there. So when I, a couple years ago, when I struck out on getting any birds in the range, all I was doing was listening to birds at 75 yards, and I was listening to hens, and I'm like, holy crap, they call a lot more than you ever realize. And a lot of people are like, don't overcall. Yes, there's a point when you're overcalling, if you're calling it for an hour straight. But for me, what I usually do in my sequence is I start with the softest yelp. Like, probably, you can barely hear it when you're sitting next to me. I can barely hear it, yeah. And then I slowly get louder and louder until I get some responses. And then depending on the type of responses I'm getting, then I'll adjust to meet that gobble. So if it's just silent, I'm just going to slowly work up my way till I get to a cut and I'm trying to chatter and then I'm screeching yelps out there. And then you've seen it. Yep. Silent Tom from the back. Came just, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. nowhere. Just uh, on a beeline coming right towards the deep. I'm like, what? Yep. I mean, how long is your calling progression? From start to finish, how long does that take? Uh, there's no limit or like guide. It's... I know it sucks for the listener, but it's a it's a feel thing. It's just a feel. And I know in my gut, it can be anything from five minutes to 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's not constant. It's like no. three to seven soft yelps, maybe a minute break or second break. Like It could be either or. Yeah. And then just slowly gets louder and louder, and you mix the cadence up because do you ever hear a hen yelp three times every five seconds at the same volume? Never. Ever. Never, ever, ever. And I don't turkey hunt that often, or I haven't turkey hunted that often. <laughs> Even when you squeak on the box or your slate, mm. that's realistic. Because I've, I've heard that in action when they miss a note. And when you miss a note, those toms snap their heads around. And I've seen it all the time. Mixing a few clucks, not putts, clucks. Now you're playing with fire. And... You gave me a call because I, I bought I went out and bought a call and it's a box call. It's a chalk, like you have to keep, you know, adding chalk to it to give it that dry, like rap, 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 the yelping. And you're like, that's shit. Like, get rid of that. And I was like, what? And you're like, this sounds better. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's chalkless, just like a sink. Yeah, I don't even have that. I have like a homemade one. Yeah, it's but very you, nice. It's very nice. Like I want, I do want to get another one and re- retire that one because it is starting to get warped. And when it warps, if it's starting to miss notes that normally would hit, the nicer the box call, the easier it is to hit your notes. Yep. And that sadly, I, I'm going to need to get a new one, and I'm not going to get a cheap one. I'm going to get a Cadillac. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. There are mouth calls as well. The diaphragms. Yep. And the diaphragms, I mean, it takes well, it takes practice, but you you don't have some people are better than others. I mean, some people are like 
professionals. Professionals. Let's be real. If if I'm somebody that's just starting with turkey hunting, I mean, for the beginner, what would you do? What would you use for a call? Box call. I mean, I use the box call, and say what you will. It's I'm very confident behind it. You can control it. You can. All you have to do is chalk it. I've been working on my mouth call, my diaphragm call. However, it's doesn't make the noises exactly how I like them from what I've heard in the field. It's a little more throaty and that doesn't really come across as believable. And I'm always hunting a blind, not open. So you can't see my hands, which a lot of people aren't using a blind. So then a box call might not be the call for you. However, if you're using a blind and you're a beginner, a box call is just easy as day. You need chalk and the box. I mean, yes, the box is easy, but the slate, the slate call is pretty damn easy too. Mm. Have you ever heard him squeak? Yes, I have. Horrible. But when you get when you, I mean, it doesn't take much to practice. So you're basically doing O's. You're doing circles. Yeah, it doesn't. It gives more of a sandpaper vibe to me. Mm. And that's all opinion. I mean, you'll have people swear by the slate, and if that's what you run, that's what you run. But the box, the only issue I would say with the box, there's two issues. One, can't get wet. Yep. Unless you get the one I got you. Yep. And then two, if you don't have it tightly packed together when you're walking in, it'll make noise on you. Yep. That's the only other thing that I could think of. And I'm pretty sure the one that you gave me had a hair elastic around it. Yep. Which works great. Great. Is that exactly what you need for that scenario? Yeah. Because it's not like an elastic band where it's like, you know, stuck to it. You can just easily slide off that hair elastic and then just start calling. Even when those, when you take off that hair elastic and it might make a cluck, it's a cluck. Yep. And you don't really have to worry about it. Unless there's danger close, then I'd be worrying about it. Which brings me to this, this point. When you're talking about danger close, you're talking 20, yes. 10 yards. 20 yards, 10 yards. Are you calling? Only if they're starting to get jump ship. Yeah, if I need them to stop. So if they're if they're like not beelining, but if they're turning around, they're like, "Fuck this." It's almost like bleeding at a doe or any deer, rather. Okay. Yeah. Just a little little something to stop and make them look. And what's that? Boom. So once they come into that forty yard range, you're just silent. I'm radio silent usually. There's some times where he'll hover at forty five, and if he's not really looking at you and you're in between the decoy and him, you can throw that call soft enough where... Soft. Yeah, it has to be very soft, as quiet as the You wouldn't do like a yelp, like... Oh, yeah, it's going to be silent, Yep. basically. Enough, and then he'll be like, oh, okay. So let me ask you this. Would you almost do a purr? Like dragging that, just... Rather do clucking. Clucking, really? Just... mm, A purr... You just have to be careful with Why? the actual call because sometimes you'll hit it a little too hard. You know, you have to be real uh, soft with your fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to accidentally just do one loud yelp. <laughs> <laughs> that would really fuck your day Rap. up. Crap! <laughs> uh, so danger close. I mean, silence. You're better off being silent if you have a decoy out there. If you don't have a decoy and you're in the woods, it's a whole different ball game. And I, I'm not gonna really say too much on it right now because I, I'm not, I'm not gonna be hunting the big woods. With your decoys, remember you want to be able to. You put those decoys out for a reason. The calling 
projects and pulls them in. Let your, as you always told me, let your decoys do the work for you once they're in that 40 yard yep. range. And then you're getting yourself ready. And you always told me like, that's why I have like really detailed decoys. Like let the decoys do the work. They're detailed with their patterns so that fo- therefore drags them in a little bit closer. Um, you know, I've seen people that have like the styrofoam decoys and stuff like that. I, I, I had one. It, it didn't do its job. Yeah. But you need that little shimmer to it. The shimmer is key. And it's have a little waggle in the wind. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, when your styrofoam decoy is like in, like inflating, almost like deforming, mm-hmm. that's, not a, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. maybe it would be flying away if it's, not it's got like right. a it's got like a screw off the back of it like just coming off of its wings i think the only thing that's really good for is target practice to see if your turkey <laughs> turkey loads really spreading right target practice all right so your bow is your pride and joy right during deer season yep what's your pride and joy come turkey season oh the turkey stopper my nice pump 12 gauge oh Please, please. And it's got a pistol grip on pistol it, Pistol grip and a red dot. So comfortable. Yes, sir. And it has the shortest legal barrel. I don't know the exact length of it, but when I got it, I purposely got the shortest barrel. Before I forget, let's throw this idea out there. You did some research with some uh, velocity of barrels. Yes. So some might think that now I might be wrong just because a bunch of people are probably experts, and I'm not. However, from what I've read, the velocity from a shotgun BB is maximum at 18 inches, 16 inches. It reaches its maximum velocity very early on, and the longer the barrel doesn't increase the velocity at all. Right, so it's almost like the more barrel you have, the less mobility you have in your blind exactly and i like i said earlier i had that small single tiny tear. blind i needed the shortest barrel possible and i don't lose any performance by it i have an extra full choke on it so i'm able to poke out there 40 yards and i'm still mobile within the blind and it takes anything from two and three quarters three and three and a half inch loads and it when you hold this thing it almost looks like a sawed off shotgun yes it's very short has the camo print on it, which I love. It's nice. Goes perfectly with my camo setup and my blind. Has one flaw. The pump action, you get this rattling. Yeah, because of the plug. Now, you're not necessarily running through the woods. You're not, like, shifting your weight, like, a lot in the blind. So you're not going to get much of that rattle from, from the stock. But it does rattle from the pump. And the nice thing is, though, I can tip the barrel up and down. It doesn't really make the rattle too bad. Because like I'm always having it up. Like my 308. Yes, exactly. Like my 308. <laughs> Freaking thing, man. Oh, it drives me nuts. Luckily, you know, when you got your first bird a few years back, you gave me your red dot, and I slapped it right onto that shotgun immediately. It's badass. It is badass. And that was a cheap red dot, but it just... It, it does the job, man, and it looks good. I'm getting a red dot. Right now, I have just sights. So I, I'm shooting a 12-gauge as well. Um, I trying to think of the barrel length uh 18 no no i thought it was more than that you have i have no it's like a 20 22 24 it's longer but i mean it's still kind of a shortened shortened turkey gun but it's it's a 12 gauge semi-auto love my semi-auto yeah uh it's got iron sights on it but it's got the the 
um, glowing iron sights, if you will. I'm looking to put a red dot on it, but I want something a little bit more compact on it. Kicks yeah, like mine, a mule, though. Punches me in the face. Yeah, mine rips my lip every time I shoot it. <laughs> so, question. What number loads are you throwing? Uh, so, three-inch mags is what I'm shooting. Uh, as far as shot, I like my four-shot. See, I've experimented, and the three number fives work perfect for my gun. I don't know why. I would always recommend that you count your pattern. Shorter barrel? I don't think that has anything to do with it because I have the extra full choke. Right. So, I mean, I maybe every gun has its own. And mine just has match. a full choke on it. I mean, I don't have the extra. I just have a full choke. But with a full choke, it gives it that, like, Call of Duty look. It's just, mm -hmm. like, it's just badass. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. But I, I'm shooting a four, four shot, three-inch mags. Um, love that ammo. It's always worked. Cripes, we almost have, what, two boxes? It's in expensive. Yeah. So I'm not throwing too many downrange. No. If I can do one, that's good. One, maybe two. Maybe two if my <laughs> face can take it. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's also it's also my squirrel gun, man. Yeah, I, I'm lucky enough to have inherited why multiple didn't, guns. Why don't you use your turkey gun for... Because I've inherited multiple shotguns. I got to use them. I know, but why am I? I'm not gonna freaking hurt my shoulder, dude. Come on, no. Twelve gauge, no. Red dot, no. Put it on that little no. red. Beep, 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 beep. I got Boom. The, the Benelli's fine. I ah, know it is a nice gun. It is nice. I'll give you. I that. got. I gotta cycle him a little bit here. Give him a little love. I love them all. Distribute the love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a. We did have a concern with this last turkey season. Um, and that was the fact that, and you made this observation early on, and you noted it to me as we were sitting in the blind. You're like, dude, I, I, I still haven't seen many Jakes. I mean, I don't think I've seen a Jake all year, other than Poults, not including Poults. I haven't seen a Jake, like a, just a full-on Jake. I mean, this season we saw a shit ton of Toms. Shit ton. We saw a shit ton of Hens. Shit ton. Not one Jake. We didn't call in a jake, not a group of jakes, nothing running around nothing. on the edge of the field. No little redheads doing whatever they do. Nothing. So I'm concerned, you know, was last or now two years ago, two years ago, Polts, did they not make it through? And we were just getting a bunch of mature toms? Or did we just not see them? I mean, I'm still seeing birds on the side of the road. I mean, there's jakes out there. Let's yeah. be real. They're, they're somewhere. There's got to be. They're not as common as what they were years prior to. Yeah. And like you said to me this afternoon, is that there's this this progression, this build up, this climatic build, and then drops. Yeah, I went on the state website and you can look up the the harvested numbers of birds within the state, and it seems like every three to four years it's a steady increase and then a drop, and then it repeats itself every like four to five years. Is that any different than the deer population? Is that I mean, I know we're talking apples and oranges here, right? But is that comparable to possibly the deer population? Which I, I wish we could talk to an expert on that. That would be definitely interesting. Maybe that's what we need to do. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe that's what the people want. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but it seems like they keep handing out dough permits like it's candy. I don't know. When how is that, that gonna catch up to us? I mean, what's what about the uh, fact that you can har harvest how many turkeys in the fall? 
Dude, wasn't it like five this year or something like that? Something ridiculous. It was crazy. And in the spring, they said that we didn't need to go to a tagging station, but they were going to report it the, the following year or something like that. I didn't understand how that worked. It was like, don't have to go because of COVID-19. You don't have to go to the tagging station because so on and so forth. But it would be like your migratory migratory birds where you, um, did you shoot a tom? Did you shoot a, a duck? Something like that, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be like a survey or something mm-hmm. like that. I've yet to hear anything, any follow-up to that, but I'd have to check the website. Yeah, I, I don't think I've received any email. You know they're good about sending the emails. Yeah, but, I mean, we're going we're gonna to be buying our 2021 licenses here shortly, so maybe. Yeah, no idea. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, that is definitely a concern for sure, um, looking into the next season, because we want that, that – we want to conserve that bird that was near extinction years ago, but it seems like it's just like come back in full swing and just flourish. Yep. Everywhere you look, there's a turkey. And hopefully it stays that way and we have to keep it that way because I love my turkey hunting. And I cannot imagine having to struggle for a turkey. I mean, it is a struggle to a sense, but I mean seeing them, just seeing them. Can we talk about the smell of a turkey? That I mean, distinct, I, wet dog smell. I love it. Oh, love when you put fr- it in my car, please. It is not a <laughs> smell that you would like expect a turkey to smell like. It is just, it's not rancid. It's like a wet dog smell. It smells I, like a wet rug. Yeah, wet rug. I like that better. It's just, they're kind of dirty. They're clean but dirty <laughs> animals. <laughs> I don't know really how to describe it. You walk up to it, it's like beauty but ugly at the same time. <laughs> oh, but I mean, it's just it's a special bird, you know. Um, Taken for granted, absolutely. And let's be real: the meat that comes off of that bird is delish. Anyone that says otherwise, they just need to cook it a little better. And I would hope that they would give it another shot, even though turkey legs. I've been eating the turkey legs now. I've always been told, ah, oh, they're tough as hell. Pretty darn good. Just slow cook it. So good. So, which leads me into this point. And this is this could be a whole other episode, but quick header. How do you if you were to cook a turkey breast, how do you cook it? Simple. The marinade and Italian dressing, pound it in the oven. Boom. See, that's where we split. I put mine on the grill. I just I don't know. An oven never fails. I've had someone wrap, like, chunk it, like, cut it into chunks and wrap it in bacon. Oh, my God. That was pretty good, too. Hmm. I don't remember the seasoning they put on it exactly, but, oh, it was good. It's like bacon-wrapped scallops, kind of. Oof. Because turkey breast is pretty tender. Yeah. I mean, once you tenderize it, you got to beat it down. Because a turkey breast is huge. They're a lot bigger. Huge. You can freeze them. Oh, yeah. But they usually don't freeze that long because I usually eat them. Yeah, right they're away. they're gone. Oh, it's just oh, it's like the tenderloin of a deer. You know, it usually mm. doesn't make it to next year. It never would. <laughs> We're doing something wrong if it makes it next year. Right, right. But a turkey breast is like it overpiles like a dinner plate. Easy, feeds easy. A fa- it feeds a family easy. You can easily make three meals out of it. Mm. Easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Is huge. I couldn't believe it. that was like one of the most astonishing things that I saw that I noticed 
you know, getting my first bird is like, wow, look at the, like, it's just huge. It's not a partridge. No, <laughs> it's not a chicken nugget. Yeah. No, it is like a full blown, like Thanksgiving size turkey. Mm-hmm. It is huge. Well, as always, folks, we definitely look forward to the spring season of 2021. We're going to be debriefing almost every single turkey hunt that we do. Yep. And, you know, we're having dinner tonight over a tenderloin of venison, and we were just raving over this spring season. We hope, we hope that those Jakes, you know, hold true into this season and, and become mature Toms, but we can only hope. So look forward to that. Look forward to sharing that that uh, scenario with you guys. And uh, as always, get in the woods. Get on the water.